Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. We are absolutely fired out of a cannon to begin this week. Everyone around Dogs Nation, Dog Nation knows exactly how much this all means. Georgia, Alabama, SEC Championship, go for three in 23, that status on the line. And over the course of the next few days together, we're going to do everything we can do to get you ready for this. We have two great guests coming up today. It's always an All-American Monday around here because our buddy John Stinchcomb always joins us. We're going to double up on former All-Americans in today's show. We're going to welcome back our buddy, the former Alabama All-American, Mike Johnson, onto our program today. He'll give us the Alabama perspective as the Crimson Tide gets ready for the SEC Championship there on Saturday. We're going to have a full week of coverage here of things like that for you here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Let me begin this way, though. Both Georgia and Alabama had a Saturday showdown. Both had rivalry wins on the road against hated in-state foes. Both the games were a little bit closer than experts expected them to be, if not much closer than experts expected them to be. And yet both Georgia and Alabama seemingly had very different responses to all of this on Saturday. And I find that to be very interesting. Let's start with the Georgia part of this because that's what you care the most about. This was not a clean game for UGA. It was not a great performance. Great to get a 29th straight win. Great to, you know, close out another perfect regular season. And obviously, you know, continue to kind of show dominance over Georgia Tech. We run the state, so to speak. All of that is great, but the performance from Georgia overall was certainly not great. Georgia gave up more than 200 yards rushing there in the game. Javon Bullard saying uh, in his post-game media availability that if you give up 200 yards to Alabama, you are not going to win that game there on Saturday, making that very, very clear. And in the midst of those discussions, Bullard also kind of making it very clear that what he wants to see from Georgia moving forward here is much better play than what the team showed Saturday night against Georgia Tech. This will be music to the ears of Georgia fans who are also kind of calling for the same thing here right now. Here is a very direct charge from a very articulate leader of this Georgia defense. This is what Javon Bullard said after Saturday night. It's something we'll dial in on it tomorrow. Um, just really just fixing the mistakes that we had and we got to play better. You guys have had issues with defending mobile quarterbacks at times. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to, you know what I'm saying, key for a guy that, you know what I'm saying, you lock up, you, I won't say lock up, but you defend the passes and then the guy takes off, you know what I'm saying, 15-yard game with his legs. I mean, that's hard to defend. And you see it day in and day out, even in the, even in the pros, you know what I'm saying, like mobile quarterbacks are really taking over today's game. So really just um, – we got to dial in on that, knowing that, you know what I'm saying, we're going to have a very mobile quarterback going forward in this next game. Um, and we got to uh, really just dial in the things that we need to fix. What Bullard says there is all completely true. A, quarterbacks who run are really, really hard to defend. It's just true at every level of the game. Bullard's obviously right when he says that. And in addition to that, he's also right when he says that the Georgia defense needs to be more dialed in than it has been before. Not just against Haynes King, but against like Peyton Thorne and all these other you know, ham and egg quarterbacks that at times this year have gotten more against Georgia than the average UGA fan would expect this defense to allow. It has to be better on this mission to go for three in 23. And Kirby Smart in his postgame press conference on Saturday was kind of also asked about that too. In particular, the, the, the thing about Bullard saying, hey, when it comes to stopping this run, this is something in which Georgia needs to improve on. Kirby Smart kind of also gave his sort of spin on this a little bit about why it is that Georgia was having those issues on Saturday and why this has been a little bit of a bug in the Georgia defense kind of 
repeatedly throughout the season. This is some of Kirby Smart on that as well. There's different kinds of runs. Uh, there's quarterback runs and gap runs, which are really hard to defend if you have a good quarterback and you can run the ball with it. I've seen it all over the country. Um, so we're pretty good at stopping a lot of runs. We struggle stopping some of those runs, and uh, we got to do a better job. So, look, let me just kind of lay this out here, and this is going to be a theme we return to a lot throughout the week. Georgia does need to be better, right? I mean, if Georgia wants to win the national championship, it clearly needs to play better than it did on Saturday. Perhaps it will. There is a little bit of a trend over the last couple of years where Georgia seemingly plays at its best in the biggest games that it plays in. Maybe that repeats itself there on Saturday, but there's no guarantee that it will, right? I mean, you can't just assume that's going to necessarily show up again in 2023 the way that it often did in 2021 and 2022. There's certainly no guarantee, you know, that's going to happen. And more so, what we have seen kind of play out perhaps is a little bit of a replica of what Saturday will look like to a certain extent. Y'all, there is just a very good chance that Jalen Milrow does have some success doing this on Saturday. That if Haynes King can do it, then Milrow probably can there as well. And if other quarterbacks this season have been able to do some of that, then perhaps Jalen Milrow, who's probably the most athletic of all the quarterbacks that Georgia has faced thus far this season, perhaps conventional wisdom just really does prevail, and he kind of does some of that too. There's a chance that's the case. There's also a chance the Georgia defense, with a week to get fully ready for all of this, has its best defensive game plan of the season. Maybe that's how this plays out too. There are no guarantees here, in other words. There is nothing I can say this week to say, I know exactly what's going to happen on Saturday. And I would tell you to be distrustful of anybody who says they know exactly what's going to happen on Saturday. This is a game in which two relatively even match teams are getting ready to face each other. Georgia has a slight advantage, we would believe. But, you know, the idea that there's some obvious, you know, huge gap here in favor of Georgia in this game, that's not true. There's a slight gap, and the slight gap may be enough to uh, send Georgia to victory here. But from December on, all of the teams that you're playing – are teams that are capable of beating you. That's just a fact. Georgia needs to be at its best on Saturday to win this game. Me telling you that, you already know that. We're all fully aware of that. That's just kind of the way that it is. But let me put a little bit of a positive spin on this here for a moment. If I'm a Georgia fan, and I am, and we're going to kind of come at this this week from a very partisan place because this is obviously a very highly emotional game between both Georgia and Alabama. If I'm a Georgia fan here right now, I may not have liked everything about the way that my team played on Saturday but I love everything about the mindset my team displayed once the game was over there was a little bit of celebrating I guess a little bit of we run this day type stuff but there wasn't a ton right I mean you know there wasn't a whole lot of mission accomplished banners being hung there on Saturday despite the fact that Georgia was 12 and 0 again to close a regular season the fact that Georgia can say we run this state again the fact that it said and say this out loud folks this is an amazing statement the fact that it won a 29th straight game the longest winning streak in SEC history you didn't hear a ton of celebrating about that there on Saturday Georgia was more content to talk about what it wants to do better than to look back and reflect on what had what it has done well from a mindset standpoint I like that and I'm going to call this out from a mindset standpoint that is 180 degrees opposite the direction the Alabama Crimson Tide went on Saturday after they're also closer than it should have been road win at a hated in-state rival Auburn you know how this played out and it was a thrilling game we were obviously watching that uh, at Georgia Tech Bobby Dodd Stadium on Saturday before the Georgia game started the 
miracle throw on fourth down. What are they calling this, Michael? Is it the mill throw? Is that what they're calling this here? Uh, uh, the, the, the mill throw? Yeah, this is what they're now calling this, Alabama football. So this is a little bit of an example of what's going on here, is that Alabama is trying to do some myth-making here. Now, a good portion of Alabama's football history is embellished. You already know that. Most of the Nick Saban era is legitimate, perhaps with the exception of the 2020 pandemic title, which we all know was not a real football season. But other than that, the Saban era is all legitimate. But previous eras of Alabama football are essentially what amounts to pencil whipping, right? It's an old SID pulling out an almanac and going back and finding seasons. Well, I'm going to give a national championship here. I'm going to give one there. I'm going to give one here. I'm going to give one there. I mean, a lot of Alabama's football history is essentially just carved from something closely approximating fiction. Uh, And I think there's a degree to which this Auburn – you know, victory at Auburn on Saturday is also going to kind of turn out to sort of feel like the same kind of thing. Instead of being a game which Alabama also almost lost to a team that had lost by three touchdowns in New Mexico State, now it's the mill throw. You know, now it's one of these things um, where history is going to tell the story here of how great this was when Alabama sort of in subtext kind of unspoken language trying to say is now we're even for the prayer at Jordan Hare. That's what they're really trying to say here because this was the 10-year anniversary of the the kick six, uh, uh, which I guess the prayer at Jordan Hare was the one against Georgia, but the kick six. Now we're even for the kick six. Now we're even for all of that. That's what Alabama's sort of trying to push after this game on Saturday. In fact, let me, let me let you hear this. And by the way, it's not just interesting what's said here. It's also interested in who shared this. This isn't the kind of thing that a media person shared, not really supposed to be on the field, not supposed to let, you know, let this kind of stuff be shared, kind of like some of the stuff that sort of comes out from time to time. The Alabama football account itself shared this on Saturday. Jalen Milrow running around after the win saying he should win the Heisman Trophy. Now, the audio I'm about to play for you is not great quality, uh, but I'm going to play for you just to confirm that it does exist. Jalen Milrow running around saying he ought to win the Heisman Trophy because of some you know lucky miracle throw at the end to beat an Auburn team that's barely even going to a bowl game. Uh, I think this is embarrassing, but this is Jalen Milrow from Saturday touting himself for the Heisman. This is from Saturday. Listen to this. We had to bleep it out at the end because he cursed. Alabama's calling this the nightmare at Jordan Hare. Milrow saying he ought to win the Heisman Trophy on the basis of this. Now, we told you before, we're going to come at this this week from a fairly partisan place. Um, there's nothing to me that speaks to the sense of entitlement that exists around the Alabama program more than Jalen Milrow thinking he's the Heisman Trophy winner simply because he plays a position for a team that's produced Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks before. I find that to be grotesque. Um, it's totally unbecoming of anything you'd ever hear at Georgia. Uh, obviously, Bryce Young was an Alabama quarterback who won the Heisman Trophy. That's a real thing that happened. Bryce Young was a great player. Tua Tungavailo was also an Alabama quarterback who won the Heisman Trophy. He had a tremendous career there. Jalen Milrow thinks because he is the next in line wearing that same uniform the guys that these guys wore, that suddenly he's also a Heisman quarterback just simply because he's playing in the same spot that the Bryce Youngs and the Tua Tungavailoas. And while Jalen Hurts did not win a Heisman in Alabama, he was certainly a, you know almost a Heisman-level player there for the Crimson Tide. It sort of feels like you know Milrow thinks he inherits the greatness that those previous quarterbacks had, which makes him a, you know fitting in pretty well, I would say, at a program like Alabama, that's just sort of the way that it is. Milrow is a talented athlete, and Milrow, as we said before, is very dangerous You know, here to consider when you're UGA on Saturday. But it's hard not to notice the contrast between the two teams. Georgia wins at Georgia Tech, 
and the conversation post-game is how do you get better from here? Alabama wins at Auburn, and the conversation is, you know, greatest Iron Bowl of all time, Jalen Milrow running around touting himself for the Heisman, which, you know, is you know frankly a, a laughable assertion now that contrast alone is not enough to guarantee georgia victory on saturday it's not but if you're georgia fan it ought, to make, it ought to make you more motivated to see alabama lose i certainly believe that's the case uh and you know it, it's also one of those things i think that sets the stage for what saturday is going to be now to shift gears here briefly to something else uh when nick saban met with reporters last night to kind of sort of kick off and discuss what it's going to feel like with the SEC championship there on Saturday. He certainly had plenty of nice things to say about Georgia, as you would certainly expect. One of, one of the themes of our show over the course of the next few days is going to be the fact that Saban and Kirby, kind of in keeping with the sort of the Southern-like politeness, are going to say certain things that perhaps they don't always necessarily fully mean about the other guy. We think there's some probably truth to that. But nonetheless, last night, Saban doing the Sunday night teleconference, which kicks off SEC championship week, offered some praise for UGA and kind of set the stage for what's a big showdown there on Saturday. Take a listen to this. Well, this is a tremendous opportunity for our team. Um, you know, they sort of created that for themselves by, you know, making a tremendous amount of improvement, you know, throughout the season. I'm very proud of, you know, the transformation of our team from the beginning to the end and um, the hard work and preparation that, you know, our players have been focused on all year long. So, you know, Georgia obviously is, you know, to me, the best team in the country. Uh, they got a great offensive team. Uh, they run the ball, a great passing game. Quarterback's really, really good. Um, so, um, you know, they got great running backs. Uh, their defense is one of the best defenses in the country and probably the best defense in the SEC. So, there's a lot of challenges uh, relative to uh, playing a great football team. So, look, I think that Nick Saban's words there are at least worth considering. Now, it's also an example of a narrative that's being pushed of, oh, we've gotten so much better over the course of the season. We weren't so good at the beginning of the year, but now we're now we're really coming on. We're really playing better. That's the, the narrative that's going to be kind of pushed right now, and Saban sort of plays into that. He'll have plenty of willing accomplices in the media that will help him push that. Obviously, that's always true. Uh, but when he talks about Georgia – I think it's really interesting that in talking about Georgia as what he calls the best team in the country, first thing he mentions there is offense. And I think there's an extent to which you got to kind of consider that for Saturday, right? It's like, I'd love for it to be easy for UGA against Alabama. Obviously, that feels so good, right? And we've seen Georgia win some postseason games in pretty easy fashion last couple of years. I'd love for this one on Saturday to be that kind of game. I sort of get the impression it's not going to be that way. I mean, I sort of get the impression that Alabama's going to have a game plan. I sort of get the impression that Bama's got some players. Milrow is obviously not the Heisman Trophy winner, but he is playing better at the right time here, and he's taking advantage of some talent that he has around him. Alabama, as we said before, is going to probably have some successful moments on Saturday. He's going to probably make a couple of plays, right? Maybe a throw for Milrow. It may be more of the stuff given up on the ground. That's probably true. But the identity of Georgia here this year has been whatever anybody else throws at it offensively, Georgia has more than enough offensive firepower to match that. And I do think that when Saban says, hey, this is the best team in the country, and the first thing he mentions is all the things that Georgia does well offensively, I think that Saban's just sort of speaking off the cup. I don't think he's doing that intentionally. But it does fit with what we believe we know about Georgia here this year. It's natural to want to make the comparison. How does this Georgia team fit into the last two national championship teams? I think the one comparison here that's obvious is 
This is the best Georgia offense of the bunch. And on Saturday, it needs to be at its best offensively. I want to say that Saturday is going to be a shootout, but I do believe both teams are going to score some points. The job for Georgia is to score more than those, uh, you know, or should say more than Alabama does. You know the feeling around this game. You know how big of a deal it is. It's not just a next step towards go for three and 23. It's another battle against the arch nemesis of this program. And everybody's going to be saying it this week, oh, Georgia's never beaten Alabama in this building. Well, all that means to me is it hasn't happened yet. There's a first time for everything. And on Saturday, it needs to be the first time for this, Georgia beating Alabama in the SEC championship. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, and we're happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today, live on video. It's 945 for our first in 15. They're at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app. We're 10 a.m. after that across all video platforms there as well. Glad to have you on video. Glad to have you on radio, Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref Podcast. Glad to have you there as well. And a big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia who make it all possible for you. Our folks at Pella have been with us for a long time. And nobody would be happier about a Georgia win against Alabama on Saturday than our folks there at Pella Window and Door of Georgia would be because they love Georgia fans. They like happy UGA fans. And uh, obviously, they want to make you happy this holiday season there as well because it may be time for you to give the gift of a brand new set of windows and doors uh, for your home, right? You want to show your home some tender, loving care this Christmas season? You know, improving the quality of the windows and the doors in that home is a great way to do that. You want to feel nice and toasty and cozy and warm uh, during this Christmas season? That's what the Pella product can provide for you there as well. You want your home to look better, curb appeal on the outside as everybody kind of drives by and sees those holiday lights. Uh, Also seeing what looks to be, you know, you know, gorgeous entry door you know phenomenal window you knows there as well that is what Pella is all about there as well so you've heard me talk about them for years it's time for now you to take that next step go by and visit them at their experience center there in Duluth you can put your hand on the product and kind of find out what makes the Pella line of windows and doors so much superior to everything else you can also have them come visit you you want that in-home consultation with one of the Pella experts you can do that there as well you can meet virtually if you prefer to do that too a lot of ways for you to connect to be educated on the installation options and the, if need be financing options the entire product line here it's not a pressure discussion this is just simply an educational thing to say hey we truly believe that Pella window and door of Georgia's view to be the best and here's why we think that that's what the Pella experts going to be able to do for you there on all of that also tell you about a great savings opportunity there as well because between now and the end of the year that's December 31st you can get 10% off your entire project no payments no interest for 12 months plus an additional $500 off your project so once again that's either 10% off your entire project or no payments no interest for 12 months plus uh, $500 off your entire project. So a couple of different options there in terms of a great savings thing. You can give them a call, 678-638-1429. That's 678-638-1429. Or visit PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Pella Window and Door of Georgia is viewed to be the best. All right, we're trying to pick up the pace here a little bit because we have two great guests. Double All-Americans here on this Monday. Our buddy John Stinchcomb coming up. It's Mike Johnson, the former Alabama All-American, before we're done, doing a great job on the radio on Atlanta's uh, 92.9 The Game, but also a guy that knows this Alabama program very, very well. Mike will give us some thoughts on that before we're done. Uh, John coming up here in a moment. Prior to that, though, let me give you a couple of things. First of all, if you go to dognation.com right now, there is still a limited opportunity to get in on our go for 3 and 23 tailgate for Saturday. We are kind of bumping up against our sort of guarantee for who can get a go for 3 and 23 t-shirt. So there are 
they are tickets still available, limited number here, for the really inclusive, uh, by inclusive I mean like the food, the beverage, all the stuff that kind of goes along with that. Uh, tailgate right there at the Home Depot backyard. Closest tailgate to Mercedes-Benz Stadium there on Saturday. Um, and a great chance to enjoy the food, enjoy the beverage, uh, and the all-inclusive experience, but also enjoy the go for three and 23 t-shirt for the next i think it's however many people are left small number of people here you can get in you can get your go for three and 23 t-shirt you can be a part of our tailgate go for three and 23 tailgate at the home depot backyard on saturday that is uh coming up there so limited space left go to dognation.com to find out more details about that let's also quickly go around the doghouse here for a moment i want to set this up and then we'll talk to john stinchcomb about it Kirby Smart also spoke again last night there as well, and one of the lingering issues coming off the Tech game from Saturday was who did not play. Tate Ratledge, Lad McConkey, also Brock Bowers after playing against both Tennessee and Ole Miss. Bowers was held out of the Georgia Tech game there on Saturday. Well, what does that mean status-wise for all of these guys moving into the uh, Alabama game, the SEC championship here coming up this weekend? Well, last night, Kirby Smart meeting with reporters for the SEC Championship kind of kickoff teleconference. This is the injury update he offered on these sort of key offensive names for UGA. Ra Ra Thomas included, by the way. This is what Kirby Smart had to say. As far as last night, uh, Brock was probably the closest to being able to go of those guys um, and, and just didn't feel as uh, good as he had. He was a little sore. Um, and uh, we, want, we wanted to be able to use him situationally or see what he could do if he felt comfortable with it and um, just didn't think that he could go. I mean, it's nothing about you know who we're playing or anything else. He's got to be he's got to be able to go compete at the high level and, and, and be able to uh, feel good about what he's doing. And, and, and we didn't feel um, that he had that uh, last night. And, and you know, Tate, I don't uh, he, he may have could have played, but he was not 100 percent. And you know, we're hoping to get him back. But as far as the other guys go, it's going to be too many day to day. I mean, we just don't know anything. We certainly don't know any more today because we haven't done anything. So that's Kirby Smart on those injuries from last night. I told you before that a lot of stuff from both Kirby and Saban this week is going to be saying one thing, perhaps really meaning another. I think in the case of Brock Bowers, we can all kind of read between the lines on this and make some assumptions about you know Bowers' status from Saturday. I'm assuming he'll be just as healthy for this game as he has been you know, for both the Ole Miss game, the Tennessee game. I think we all really know what happened on Saturday, no matter what Smart perhaps says about that right there. On the McConkie front, though, I told you last week, you know, not practicing at all leading to the game against Tennessee, and that's not quite the injury update you wanted to hear on Ladd. And when Kirby Smart leaves almost no room for interpretation on anything by kind of just saying nothing, I think you're left to say the the McConkey thing going to be pretty mysterious there for Saturday. Rob Rod Thomas, I guess we'll have to wait and find out. But in the case of McConkey in particular, that's a pretty significant injury loss if it does turn out to be that. Now, the flip side of this, we're going to talk to John Stinchcomb more about this here in a moment, is it seems like in the absence of guys like McConkey, playmakers are emerging at the right time for UGA. You know, Kendall Milton is running right now like a top-flight running back for the Dogs, and boy, it was important for Georgia on Saturday. It's fun to think that could also be present this Saturday there as well because you need that. That pairing of, of Edwards and Milton, Milton seemingly coming on at the exact right time. Dylan Bell feels like that too, kind of making you feel a little bit better about the uncertain status from a guy like McConkie and perhaps Rob Rod Thomas. The fact that all of a sudden Dylan Bell looks like just a revelation for Georgia. Big game against Tennessee, big game against Tech. I think you're led to believe there's more of that coming here as well. 
So it's kind of a good news, bad news situation. The bad news is I don't think we really know how healthy some of these injured guys are for Georgia, especially Ladd McConkey. The good news is as some of these playmakers, established names, kind of recede into the background a little bit, other guys seem to be coming to the forefront, including Bell, who had a huge game for Georgia there on Saturday. So like any big game, injury conversation, going to be watched very closely here this week. Kirby Smart giving you a little bit of an update there right there. So that's around the doghouse on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia here today. Obviously, we're covering a lot of ground here in terms of how it all goes down against Alabama on Saturday. So let's talk to a guy who was a part of the first ever Georgia team to win the SEC championship about how this version of Georgia can travel that same path and get a win in Atlanta on Saturday. Let's do John Stinchcomb right now as a part of a Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Our Christmas tree kind of covers up John Stinchcomb's face, which I hate to do, and I guess the folks at Marlowe's probably want their uh, their ad on the screen here too. So we'll see if we can uh, figure out a way to do all that. But uh, nonetheless, glad to have uh, John Stinchcomb here, Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update. Uh, John, it's a big one. You know how big that it is, so uh, let's dive into it, if you uh, don't mind. Just talking about the injury situation for Georgia – I'm assuming that Brock Bowers is fine. I think a lot of this on Saturday was opponent-dependent, whether Kirby Smart you know, wants to openly acknowledge that or not. The Ladd McConkey thing's a little bit more, uh, I guess, troubling here right now. So probably a good time to have Kendall Milton playing his best football, Dylan Bell playing his best football. How much does the emergence of Bell, the emergence of Milton, make you feel better about the fact that a couple of other really dependable players for Georgia have very uncertain status going into the SEC championship game? Well, what makes me feel really good is the fact that you're uh, recognizing the holiday season with your Christmas tree prominently displayed <laughs> across your desk. So <laughs> let's start there. Grateful for that. Uh, priorities, right, B.A.? Sure thing. No, I, I think that this offense, if, if anything has proven true, uh, it's the variability and the options that Mike Bobo has at his disposal. And a lot of that has come due to necessity and not having availability of Brock and not having availability of Ladd throughout the year. And it's given opportunities to guys like Dylan Bell. And I think uh, the, the healthier that Kendall Milton has got this season, the more impressive he's gotten to all of us. I mean, you, we've gotten to see these past few weeks the, the X factor that this offense has been missing from that running back position. And Dylan Bell is a guy that has filled in admirably at times throughout the season, um, lined up next to Carson Beck in that backfield. But a healthy Kendall Milton is a scary proposition for any defense and has been a, a real burst of energy that this offense has been able to utilize and we'll certainly look to, to lean on um, as we get into this, you know, the most important part of this season with the SEC championship coming up. And then, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're expecting college football playoffs to follow. So it is, it is good that we've got these players that have stepped up and, and been able to be relied upon. But with that said, Georgia is a different team when Brock Bowers and Lad McConkey are on the field. And I'm hoping that, you know, obviously it seems like Brock is a heck of a lot closer and 
should be projected as, as a real contributor on Saturday, and I'm hoping the same for Ladd. Let me give you a comparison for Dylan Bell here for a moment. I agree with everything you just said there, by the way, in terms of you're hopeful to get these guys back because they're important players. But, you know, what we've seen from Bell the last couple of weeks, let me give you a comparison here. To me, this feels like it could be, not a guarantee that it will be, but it could be a little bit like what we saw from Javon Bullard on the other side of the ball a year ago, where like from like November on, Bullard was just playing clutch football for Georgia, playing at his best in the biggest games that Georgia played, and he sort of stepped out into the forefront from a guy that you're glad to have on your team to all of a sudden you're looking for him to make a play. You know, he kind of became a little bit of a different type of dude kind of November on last year and based on what we've seen from Bell these last couple of weeks you sort of wonder is he also kind of stepping out into the limelight right now and all of a sudden by the time we get to January do we have this like different view of Dylan Bell all of a sudden you know maybe he's trying to make some of the big catches that A.D. Mitchell's made for Georgia last couple of seasons like is this the emergence of something that you know where, where Dylan's about to be a lot more famous than perhaps he was you know kind of prior to this month yeah, I, I see him as a playmaker, right? He's a guy that has consistently this season, whether it's from the backfield or as a wide receiver or you know, even throwing touchdowns, he's somebody that can make plays for this Georgia offense in, a, in the same vein as Ladd and Brock where you just got to figure out ways to get them the ball. And I think he's earned that. I think he's earned the opportunity for the offensive coaching staff to figure out ways to – how do we get Dylan Bell the ball? Because we like what he does once he has that ball in his hands. He's a guy that can make people miss. He's a guy that has speed to be explosive and the shiftiness to, to make plays once he's got the ball. So, you know, a lad can turn a slant route into a touchdown, just pivot on a dime and, and burst out. And Brock Bowers has the ability to you know, run sharp routes and, and break tackles and, and uh, taken end around the distance. And Dylan Bell, in that same vein, has been able to um, take a, an off-tackle dive and turn it into a touchdown as easily as he has taken an out route and bust, bust up the field for a big gain. So he is a playmaker that um, continues to earn those opportunities, and I think has has become the next guy after you look at Brock and Ladd as someone you're going, all right, we need to start setting up plays or, or designing, putting him in situations where we can get him the ball. So let's talk about the Georgia defense here for a moment because I honestly believe there are a lot of people who are like me that are just trying to make sense of this. Like, I'm not a former player. Right? I'm not a former coach. Like, I, I don't really know what it is that I'm seeing on Saturday. We've seen a lot here this season when – boy, there's just a lack of success in moments in which you're used to seeing Georgia just completely eviscerate the opposition. So when you've got – now, we said going into the week, Haynes King's a good player, right? So, I mean, like that's not a huge surprise. Buster Faulkner's a really smart offensive mind. We believe that to be true there as well. So there's clearly some built-in respect for the opponent, at least in terms of quarterback play caller, that obviously that's a, probably as good a duo – maybe as, as Georgia's seen for the most part this regular season. So so some of this is obviously opponent-driven, but Georgia's also given up like rushing yards to like Peyton Thorne this year, which is a little bit of a different type of thing, uh, perhaps. The point is, when you see Georgia giving up 200 yards on the ground, more quarterback runs, stuff on the outside edge, 
John, let's just have a real conversation here for a moment because I think people genuinely want to understand this. Is Georgia just not as good? Are they not trying hard? Is it mm-hmm. some sort of like diabolical scheme that, that they didn't see coming? I mean, I, I think that I'm open to any answer, right? Like, like, and it all builds to well, how do you make sure it's better on Saturday against the best team you play? Like, like, what are you kind of thinking as you watch the Georgia defense dealing with what it's dealt with, you know, kind of like, like Saturday's game? Yeah, I think it's about comparisons. I think it's perspective. If you're comparing to the defense of the last two years, this defense isn't as good. And, and that's, that can be okay. This is still one of the best defenses in college football. Surprisingly, for Georgia fans, if you haven't watched a lot of football, you're going, you know, we just gave up 200 yards rushing to Georgia Tech and we should blow them out of the water and blah, blah, blah. I get it. I understand that argument. With that said, the whole body of work um, – this, this is a good defense. It's not elite. It's not the defense of last year that was suffocating and historic in its performance. This is a good defense, one of the best of all the teams that are still in that hunt for a national championship. So don't hit the panic button. Don't say, you know, this defense is going to be the Achilles heel. It is not. It, it is a good defense. Now, as, as you highlighted earlier in Coach Saban's initial assessment, this is an offensive first Georgia football team. It, it it is predicated on the ability to score points and then and then limit the opponent to not scoring as much. Right in, in years past, it's been you know we only have to score three touchdowns because our defense has is is not going to allow more than two in a game. Now well, that's probably not the case this year, especially as you go up against some of the best offenses in the country, um, in, in the college football playoffs and, and what's to come. With that said, uh, Georgia has to, and I don't, don't think they did a good job of this on Saturday, they got to play with energy. They can't miss tackles. you got to get out there and execute. And more than anything, you got to get off blocks. There's a number of times where you're in a decent position, get off the block and make a play. And, and we haven't seen that with consistency um in ways that we have in the past, which, you know, again, I'm falling prey to uh, the comparisons to the past couple of years, but that's what we know, and that was the recipe that it took to win national championships. So that's the expectation that's been set. Yeah, to me what it comes down to, it's like the old line from Merck Russell, which is if we score, we might win, but if they don't score, we can't lose. Like Georgia has kind of lived the last couple of years in that kind of world in which – the other team is scoring so little that victory was almost guaranteed. And for those of us who are fans of Georgia, which I obviously am, that can be a very enjoyable place to be because it takes a lot of the worry out of games. Well, you know, on Saturday, that's probably not going to be the case. Alabama's going to probably score some points if, if this season's recent history is our guide. And all of a sudden, John, it becomes, well, how many stops can you get, right? We're used to seeing Georgia getting all the stops, which is, you know, a great way to ensure victory. But on Saturday, it becomes you won't get a stop maybe every time, but if you can get some stops, if you can get a stop on this offensive possession, whenever that might be, if you can get some stops, then you're obviously aiding your team's chance of victory. And that's what it kind of comes down to. It's not one of these perfect game, clean sheet type performance the way that Georgia would have had oftentimes in 2021 and sometimes in 2022. It's about getting enough stops to make winning more likely on Saturday, which is a little bit of a different world, I think, for Georgia to kind of live in. 
Yeah, and, and last year, the only real game in my mind was that Ohio State game. Yes. And if you look at it, it was that was a boat race. I mean, that was our defense was not suffocating. We did very little to limit them offensively, and it was reliant on Georgia's offense to respond, and they did so. And I would say this team, uh, this Georgia 23 team, is positioned to where we can score points uh, when called upon in ways that we were able to last year, but we didn't really have to except for one game, uh, with the exception of that Ohio State game. So um, we need our defense, and, and if we're going to evaluate talent and we're looking at teams as a whole, this Alabama team is not the Alabama teams of, of years past. This is not the juggernaut defensively or offensively um, that, that we've seen in SEC championships and national championships. So the expectation from, from where I sit is this Georgia team goes out and plays their best ball and you see the separation of, of these two squads because Georgia is the superior talent. Now they, ha- they have to go out there and earn it and prove it. But, you know, I mean, we all saw what happened in Auburn and the escape that occurred in the middle row throw to that corner of the end zone on fourth and 31 yeah. to come away with a victory against an Auburn team that was inferior. Um, and we saw, I mean, I watched, some of that game, their game against Ole Miss and the struggles that they had. So, you know, this is not the Alabama teams uh, that we've seen in the past and a, a Georgia performance, which I think this has been more so the case this year than any other. Georgia has played really big and big games this year and probably not shown it as consistently against, let's call it, inferior talent. So I expect Georgia to come out and and see their best version of themselves on Saturday. It's our Marlowe's Tavern Insider Update with John Stinchcomb. I want to talk more about the SEC Championship game coming up in a moment. Let me also remind you, and I love doing this every year. It feels like there's certain things we just do kind of every year, and this is one of those things. We get towards this kind of holiday time of year. We remind you about a great gift opportunity from our friends at Marlowe's Tavern. It's a really great bonus opportunity when you're buying gift cards. And listen, there are people that are hard to buy for. We understand that. But chef-inspired food, craft cocktails, everybody likes that. And so at Marlowe's Tavern, you can enjoy that there uh, as well and give the gift of Marlowe's Tavern to somebody here during this holiday season. The cool thing is, is that when you buy a $100 Marlowe's Tavern gift card right now to give to somebody here this holiday season, you're also going to get a bonus $25 gift card to go with that there as well. So it's incredible value, right? For $100, you're getting $125 worth of gift cards. That's great savings on great chef-inspired food, craft cocktails, all those really wonderful things. So please make sure you check out marlowstavern.com for more on that. Maybe you give the $100, maybe you keep the $25 and enjoy that for yourself and those that you love here this holiday season. But if you're looking for a great gift opportunity for people that are hard to buy for, chef-inspired food, craft cocktails, all the fun things at your local Marlowe's Tavern, you're going to enjoy that. marlowstavern.com for more on that. Buy the $100 gift card, get the bonus $25 gift card as a special thank you here during this holiday season. John, let me finish with this if you don't mind. You obviously know what it feels like to play, not this building, but certainly in this city for an SEC championship. You know the feeling around that. How about the feeling for Georgia on Saturday? They've played in so many big games, of course, but this is a stadium against a team where it hasn't quite worked out 
for this team against this opponent in this stadium. Indianapolis, no problem. Atlanta, you know, there's a little bit of a backstory here. But the players that were playing in this game didn't play in those games necessarily. So how much you know, how much energy is in the room based on the previous history between these two teams, if you would have to guess, when it kicks off on Saturday afternoon? Oh, it's going to be electric, and uh, expectedly so. I think everyone that has been paying attention to college football, and certainly this football team has, knows that all roads to the national championship lead through this game in Atlanta. And um, so frequently, the, the uh, usually it's the winner, but not always. I think Georgia's proven, proven that a couple of years ago. Um, that leads to or soon will become the national champion. And so this is a big game, and, and they know it, and that, that atmosphere is going to be reflective of it. Um, and I think you're situated in, in a way that you take care of business the way you should in this game. I, I see it as an opportunity for Georgia to show the separation in programs and the dominance that, that could be exhibited on Saturday. John, I tell you, I love it. I love the conversation. I love your thoughts on all of it. I'm certainly looking forward to what I hope is a Georgia win on Saturday. You and I getting back together next week to kind of look back on how it all goes down. But but either way, a tremendous insight. Enjoy the week, and uh, we'll try to keep a good thought ahead of a, a big, big showdown on Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one, and I, I think it should uh, turn out in a very positive fashion for our dogs. So I'm looking forward to it. I love it, John. Thanks for your time. Absolutely. Go dogs. Go dogs. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, so nice to hear some words of comfort from John there. On the one hand, hey, defense needs to play better. Perhaps there's a, a ceiling here in terms of what you compare this to to previous years, but ultimately a victory that John thinks is coming. And I'll point this out, you know, if you're tempted to overreact on the basis of you know a bad defensive performance, air quotes around bad, but a bad defensive performance against Georgia Tech, keep this in mind. that And sometimes we don't do a good job of explaining point spread stuff when it comes out because you know various books have their own lines. And you have to oftentimes be in that state to, to place that bet. But we saw some of the Vegas casinos come out, what, last week with Georgia's a three-point favorite. You couldn't find three anywhere right now if you tried, depending on where you are, which book you're looking at. For the most part, it's pretty much five and a half painted across the board everywhere. So, you know, the idea that somehow Georgia showed a deficiency in playing closer than it was supposed to against Georgia Tech, if anything, we've seen the line grow in recent days. More respect coming in on Georgia right now. Uh, Georgia about a five and a half point favor pretty much everywhere for this game there on Saturday, if not growing from that point in time too. So just at least keep that in mind here as you kind of roll towards Saturday. Speaking of Alabama, we'll talk to the former All-American for the Crimson Tide, Mike Johnson, coming up in a moment. His thoughts on the enemy's plan for Saturday. Prior to that, though, let's go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Simply put, obviously, when we get together in April of 2024, we're going to have so much to look back on about a special season for UGA and so much to talk about on board Allure of the Seas for our Dog Nation cruise. Can't wait to do all of that with you. RoyalDogs.com, great website you can go to to find out more about our Dog Nation cruise. But you can also contact Jessica Slater. Give her a call, 770-718-9147. 
That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her, Slater at dreamvacations.com. She'll tell you about everything we got planned for our Dog Nation cruise coming up in April and all the great stuff that Royal Caribbean also has in store in 2024 there as well. I want to bounce through a couple of stories here just for a moment. Obviously, the big story in college football this weekend, perhaps even bigger than the games that were played, was the drama that played out on Saturday at Texas A&M where it seemed like Mark Stoops was about to be announced, the Kentucky coach, of course, as the next coach at Texas A&M. Ultimately, that didn't happen. Stoops is now staying in Kentucky for what were reported to be the same contract he was on prior to this. This leads you to believe, and this is pretty much conventional wisdom, that Stoops was going to get the A&M job. There was a revolt on the part of key boosters, and therefore A&M changed its mind. And a lot of people are kind of like shocked by all of this. Mike Elko, the Duke coach, is now a former A&M defensive coordinator, is the replacement hire instead of Stoops, who we thought was going to get the job on Saturday. A lot of people have a kind of a strange reaction to this. I'm going to tell you two things here real quick. Thing number one, listening to your fans, I believe, is almost always a good thing to do. Now, it doesn't always work out, but this is your key constituency, right? Whether it's like the oil money millionaires or just the rank and file season ticket holders, a revolt of the people who are your key constituency is the kind of thing you ought to pay attention to. You should. Tennessee did that when it came to Greg Schiano, And while there were some shaky years to start off with, with Jeremy Pruitt, I think most of us would say the program's on better footing right now with Josh Heupel than it would have been if Schiano had gotten the job. But even if it doesn't work out, you are in business and you are making millions of dollars because fans give you their money to put you there. So listening to what they think, I don't think it's a bad thing to do. So if A&M did change its mind about Stoops because of the the revolt of fans, that seems like a pretty good reason to change your mind. I'll also say I believe that Elko is probably a better fit than Stoops would be. Um, I think Elko at the beginning of this season on that Monday night where his Duke team beat Clemson, that's a better individual win than anything that Mark Stoops has ever gotten at Kentucky, I believe. And Stoops has been the coach there far longer. So I think Stoops is probably a little bit overrated. I think that Elko seems like an up-and-coming guy. I also think he knows the lay of the land there in College Station because he was a good defensive coordinator there. Elko over Stoops feels like a pretty good decision. Now, is it a home run hire? Maybe that hire didn't exist for AM right now. But avoiding the Stoops thing seems to make some sense. Jeff Levy was also hired this weekend as well as the Mississippi State coach. Of course, you know, Levy, most recently, Oklahoma offensive coordinator. He also worked at Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin, kind of bounced around here a little bit. He's got a tie to Art Bryles, a family connection um, that's going to get brought up here, but we'll kind of judge this more about, you know, what it's going to be on the field for him. If Mississippi State could have hired Jamie Chadwell, the current Liberty coach, I believe that would have been a better hire. Seems like Chadwell's waiting for a better job, and maybe he's wise to do so, but Lebby is less of a sure thing than a guy like Chadwell would be. He's clearly an offensive mind. Those are in vogue coaching hires. It's also seemingly the exact opposite of what Zach Arnett was, which is probably the direction they want to go here. So a less heralded but nonetheless significant SEC coaching hire made there. Then I'll quickly mention this, and we'll bring on Mike Johnson onto the show today. We'll have obviously more time to react to the games that were in the upcoming days, but I've just got zero respect for Ohio State. Just absolutely zero respect. You know, this has been a better defensive team all year long. This is a Michigan team that had been sort of clouded in scandal, had actually played a little worse here in in the last couple of weeks. And Ohio State goes on the road to Ann Arbor. Very timid, tepid game plan. Ryan Day, I thought Coach Scared, selling for a couple of long field goals a couple of times in which a guy who really needs a rivalry win perhaps could have been more aggressive. They just didn't do it. And 
you know, I think what Ohio State kind of found was is, you know, kind of punching in the late score to win a game like this, a lot more difficult when the opposition doesn't have 10 players in the field the way that it was against Notre Dame. Uh, so, obviously, I would kind of talked myself into the Buckeyes going into this, and that's pretty clearly a, a wrong decision here. Uh, Michigan does stand up, and you now assume, barring some sort of shocking circumstance in the Big Ten title game, they are on their way to the college football playoff. And so a program marred by scandal still alive here for the uh, postseason after that win. And, you know, the Florida performance against Florida State probably requires a little bit more time than we have opportunity to discuss here right now. Just say this, there is a lot, lot a lot to sink our teeth in on on that one here coming up uh, pretty soon. But for now, the uh, Seminoles also still undefeated and still alive for the college football playoff, too. So we'll cover some more of these games coming up in future days. For now, though, how about a chance to welcome in a voice that I just love hearing? We used to do SEC Country Live together. Uh, so glad to have him back on the show here today. It is Mike Johnson, now on the mornings in Atlanta on 92.9 The Game, doing a great job there every morning and part of their Falcons coverage. Of course, Mike being a terrific former Falcons there as well Mike welcome back here to a dog nation daily here today obviously we wouldn't bring on a whole bunch of Bama guys in a week like this but you are clearly our favorite and so we're happy to have you as a part of the program we hope you're doing well I'm doing great man and uh look you know I come in peace I come in peace uh no worries for me man I'm not here to stoke any fires or start any fights with anybody I come in peace I'm looking forward to it this weekend man no I'm excited about it there as well and I obviously want to get that uh conversation going with you here in a moment but I miss doing this kind of stuff with you so if you don't mind let me ask you about this what did you think about the drama on Saturday with like A&M almost announcing Mark Stoops as a, a coach? Seems like there was a fan revolt. Now they changed their mind. They go Mike Elko, which I personally believe is probably a better hire anyway. Um, kind of fun drama. I love coaching carousel stuff. I always have. Uh, A&M's obviously kind of an interesting program because the Jimbo thing turned out to be a total disaster. What did you make of that, and uh, how entertained were you by you know kind of some classic old school coaching carousel drama? You know what's funny about it, B.A., is I, when all this stuff was happening, I thought to myself, God, it'd be a fun week to be on SEC Country Live. No doubt. <laughs> Start no to look, doubt. Look towards this weekend. Here, here's what I'll say about the A&M thing. And uh, I, I think a lot of A&M fans, either way, were probably let down. I, I think when you talk about A&M and the money they throw around, the money they spent just to get rid of Jimbo Fisher, it seems like they were probably looking to hire a coach with some sort of championship pedigree. I mean, uh I think I think Mike Elko probably has a couple of MAC championships as a defensive coordinator, but other than that, uh, <laughs> hasn't won a lot of rings in his day. So ne- neither has Mark Stoops. And uh, when you look at it from that angle, I, I, I think A and M fans are a little bit disappointed, uh, which you know rightfully so. They get, expect a splash higher when you're paying the old guy seventy million to go away. Uh, but you know this is where they're at. There there was no other names kind of willing to kind of take that leap and. Uh, I think it's probably a good move for A&M, to be honest with you. Bring in a guy with some energy, yeah. a guy that can you know, hopefully recruit and uh, you know, have Texas and O's pan out. So I think that's what they needed. You've been in a lot of press boxes, even though you're a former player. You've been kind of in the media for a good while now, and so you kind of know the feeling here prior to a game kicking off. You know, everybody's kind of crowded around the TV. That was certainly the scene in Atlanta on Saturday with everyone watching the conclusion of that Iron Bowl. And when Milrow throws the touchdown to uh, Isaiah Bond, it's obviously a, it's, it's a remarkable conclusion of that game. As an Alabama alumnus, a partisan for the Crimson Tide here, 
where do you think that Iron Bowl win is going to kind of stack up in history? Now, full disclosure, we obviously have kind of had some fun at the expense of Jalen Milrow saying he should win the Heisman Trophy and some of the stuff that came out after that. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not going to – I have to be honest here. We've certainly had some fun uh, on this at least a little bit. But from the perspective of the fact that it was a thrilling win 10 years after the kick six in the same building, you know, where do you think Alabama fans are going to view kind of like this Iron Bowl, you know, game and how, how it will be remembered by Tide fans? Well, first, let me start with the Jalen Milrow stuff. I mean, let's listen. I, I do morning radio in Atlanta. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not numb to it, and I've had some fun at his his expense too. I think I said this morning <laughs> on the radio that he might be the first guy ever uh, to win the Heisman to be benched going into the South Florida game. So that would be uh, kind of ironic. But uh, uh, no, you know, I listen. Uh, I, I'll say this. Um, obviously, you know, you got to take some time and, and digest it, but. Uh, this is um, this is a, a big moment. I would even make the argument, and I said this this morning, it, it was probably more improbable the way the game ended this time than it was for the kick six. And obviously, the kick six ten years ago, an incredible play for Auburn. But when you add a muffed punt and a fourth and 31, uh, the improbability of that is just through the roof. And so I, I think it'll sit up there. It would probably have ranked a little bit higher had Bama been, you know, underdog or Auburn been a little bit better going into the game. But uh, you scratched and clawed, you fought for a win, you got the uh, incredible comeback, and uh, it was a great moment. So, um, you know, I, I'm going to try to take it for what it is, not overreact just yet, but I think you'll see it on some highlight reels for some years to come. All right, let me get a little bit more in-depth about the game there on Saturday for a moment. I'm curious your thoughts on this Alabama team right now. And, you know, to me, it is sort of ended up feeling like a little bit different kind of tied team than I thought it probably would. Um, I expect this to be a great offensive line, and I don't know that it necessarily has been. I don't have a great explanation as to why that is. Um, Milrow, I think, has grown into the role, you know, of quarterback there really well. Obviously, guys like Dallas Turner, you know, are, are names that Georgia fans have tremendous respect for. Terry and Arnold has come on a big way with the defensive secondary. You know, uh, Caleb Downs is a player that Georgia fans were sad to see get away, and when you see him perform as a freshman, you would say with good reason. He's really good over there. So there are a lot of typical Alabama players on this roster, but the overall feeling of Alabama is a little bit different than I expected it to be. You're watching the Crimson Tide, I would say, closer than I am. So, like, what do you think of Alabama right now and kind of where do you think this team is heading into this game on Saturday? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, first and foremost, you look at the overall landscape of college football, I don't know that – I don't know there's any teams right now that are better than the last two Georgia teams or the last Alabama team that won a national title three years ago. I, I don't know that anybody is really playing up to that standard – you know, I think for Alabama fans right now, there is almost a, a lack of comfortability with how these games play out. Yes, Milrow has grown into the role. Yes, he's thrown some passes over the top and gotten a lot better with his arms, and he had to be aware of his legs. But there's just an off-schedule uh, feel to the way this offense kind of operates that makes a lot of Alabama fans feel uneasy. You know, it's, these aren't designed runs for the most part that Jalen Milrow is picking teams apart with. This is, I'm getting pressure. The offensive line is, is getting pressure in my face. I'm, you know, breaking a tackle and rolling out and ripping off 30 yards. And so this is not the Alabama team that turned around and handed off to Derrick Henry and, you know, could always count on, you know, second and two and being able to take play action shots. This is an off-schedule team that, while scrappy, uh, doesn't lead to a lot of comfortability in the brand of football they're playing. And so – um, I don't. I don't think that this team is as good as some of the championship teams that Bama has had in the past. But there is a there is a you know puncher's chance 
that you feel uh, anytime Mil- uh, Milrose in the backfield taking the snap. And so it's an added element for sure. And uh, I think Bama fans would rather have the comfortability of the you know incredible run game and the dominant offensive line. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they've been able to piece together a decent season, and I think uh, that's all you could have asked of this team this year. Let me ask you this one. I'll try to squeeze in two things before I let you go, starting with this. Beyond Milrow with his legs, what do you think the key to victory for Alabama would be on Saturday? Is it as simple as saying, you know, we've really only seen probably one team really getting Beck's face this year. That was probably Missouri. Uh, Carson was probably not, as you would expect, not quite as good when he faced, you know, fairly consistent pressure there in that game. Is this as simple as saying, okay, a guy like Turner's going to have a really big game, you know, for the Crimson Tide? Like beyond what we've kind of seen Milrow do – you know, what else would be kind of a key to victory for you for Alabama if it were to play out that way? Well, let me, let me give you one thing that, that, that to me is what separates uh, good Alabama games from bad ones. And uh, it might sound minute to some people, but yards after the catch and yards after contact. Interesting. And I, I say that because Milrow, while he has become better with his arm and hitting receivers, it's not always in stride, right? So you don't have the explosives that you had from a – Jalen Waddell and a Jamison Williams and some of the other incredible wide receivers and players that have come through that program. Sometimes it's Jalen Milrow throwing for 12 yards and making the throw a little bit low or, you know, behind somebody and then getting a first down and falling to the ground. And when they've had to piece together long drives like that, that's when they get off schedule and the run game kind of falls apart a little bit and they get a hiccup down the field. That's what you saw last week. Uh, against Auburn. So I think it's yards after catch. And by the way, that's what, that's what Carson Beck and uh, Brock Bowers and Lyle McConkey are so good at. That's why they're so explosive. He puts it in a position where they can not only catch the ball and get yards, but also run after the catch. And that's something that Bama just hasn't been that great at this year. I think that's a really interesting point. I'm glad I asked you that, and I'm glad you gave such a great answer. Let me finish with this. And to me, you could go any direction on this. Who do you think has the emotional edge on Saturday? And I ask that because on the one hand – you could say, well, Georgia now knows it can beat Alabama because it did that in Indianapolis to conclude the 2021 season. On the other hand, Alabama can say, yeah, but we won the games between these two teams in this building, the place where these two teams are obviously going to play there on Saturday. On the flip side, Georgia can say, we won the last two national championships. On the other side of that, Alabama can say, yeah, but we're hungry to kind of get back to a championship place that for the last 24 months, the tide kind of really hasn't been at. Like, is there an emotional edge on Saturday? And if so, who do you think has it? Boy, that's a really, really, really good question. And um, I'll be honest, it's hard to answer because yeah, I've been in those locker rooms. Um, it, we, we lost to Florida in 2008 when it was a one-versus-two matchup in the SEC championship game. And we took that edge the entire season the next year uh, and, and ended up beating Florida in 2009, the Tim Tebow cries game and all that. And, and we kind of had that chip on our shoulder, whereas I don't think Florida did. They ran into some issues later that year had some guys get in trouble, had some guys make some bad decisions. The fact that we are a year removed from that national championship, SEC championship combination back in 2021, I I don't know where the emotional edge goes to. I'll be honest. I think Alabama has played with their backs against the wall since the Texas game, uh, and they've kind of played with that attitude of we have to come out swinging or else we're going to lose sight of our goals for the rest of the year. But Georgia is the best team in the country. And, and, and while everybody around the country keeps waiting on Georgia to get complacent and to fall off, you and I both know Kirby Smart. Uh, I, I love Kirby Smart. He's one of my favorite coaches of all time. And he has that youthful attitude that really gets those players fired up. And, 
what, what is it, what, a 26-year age difference, 25-year mm-hmm. age difference between him and Nick Saban? I think it shows in some of these emotional situations. And so uh, Kirby really has the ability to fire that locker room up. Uh, I know Alabama has their backs against the wall and feels like they need to come out swinging against the number one team in the country. And so I think that's going to be uh, something to keep an eye on as we move throughout this week, if, uh, for sure. I tell you, to this day, nobody breaks it down like you do, Mike. I really enjoy talking about this stuff with you. <laughs> Glad we got a chance to do that here today. Remind folks, if you're in the Atlanta area or if you just want to kind of tune in and uh, hear some great talk each and every morning, looking at the SEC, looking at Atlanta sports, the Falcons, everything else, remind folks how they can hear you on the uh, radio, Mike. Yeah, we're on every morning, uh, 92.9 the game, 6 to 9 a.m. We have a lot of fun, man. We try to keep it uh, really lighthearted. Uh, we're actually having Justin Tell on tomorrow, nice. and uh, your buddy Chip Towers will be on later this week as well. Uh, Rusty Manziel comes on uh, on with us every Thursday. So, look, man, we try to uh, try to have a lot of fun, talk some football, college, and NFL, and uh, keep it lighthearted every morning at 6 a.m. I tell you, uh, Mike, I appreciate it. We'll look forward to uh, hopefully getting a chance to see you here real soon, maybe on Saturday there as well, and uh, hopefully back here on Dog Nation Daily very soon there as well too. Always good to catch up, buddy. Good stuff there from uh, Mike Johnson here on the program today. Going to try to do a lot of that kind of stuff for you uh, this week. Always a lot of fun. And obviously, as you head towards Saturday, one of my favorite things about being in Mercedes-Benz Stadium for Saturday's game is is that the press box gets completely turned into like just an absolute mecca of Dr. Pepper. You got Dr. Pepper fountains. You got Dr. Pepper in the coolers. You got Dr. Pepper everywhere. And some of y'all know how real this is for me. It's my favorite. Like, you know you're in a big game when the press box has, like, wall-to-wall Dr. Pepper, all the various, you know, flavors, various varieties, you know, all over the place, fountain, can, whatever else. That's what Saturday is at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And it's a reminder of how connected Dr. Pepper is to college football. It's the one the fans deserve. So if you're like me, you're already getting some on Saturday. But if you're going to be at home watching the game, uh, how about dialing up and getting yourself some there too? Perhaps you try the brand new Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream or the Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream zero sugar. Or if you want like, you know, like the Dr. Pepper zero sugar, the diet Dr. Pepper, whatever else. Which to this day, no you know diet drink tastes more like the real thing than Diet Dr Pepper does. Just un un unbelievable stuff. Uh, whatever it is, you know we love Dr Pepper and we love Dr Pepper being connected to college football. So make sure you find it. Uh, you're going Kroger wherever you're doing your shopping here this weekend. Pick yourself up some rich one of a kind flavor of Dr Pepper, the one fans deserve. All right, couple of golden shoes on the way out the door here today. And uh, one of these, also speaking of our Dog Nation Cruise, a Dog Nation Cruiser is going to be honored with our uh, golden shoe here for today. Let's show you the first one on the uh, screen here coming up. Uh, it's Ness Baldazon, who, by the way, his Twitter handle is Dog Cruiser. He was on our Dog Nation Cruise, and he shared. So he's a, a Carrollton guy, and he shared this picture for me there at Grisham Stadium on, on Friday night calling the uh, Carrollton game. I believe this may be the only photo I have of myself doing play-by-play uh, Ness sharing that. Uh, obviously, the uh, Trojans came up a little bit short in their battle against Walton, but always good to hear from Ness. Uh, terrific guy. Big bourbon-tasting guy. Uh, always has a great bottle of bourbon uh, to go with all the great UGA victories. So, uh, Ness, thanks for sharing that. We will give you a golden shoe for that. Appreciate you being on hand for the game on Friday. And another golden shoe going out here there as well. We had some fun making fun of Ryan Day on the weekend being born on third base. Russell McLaughlin sends this in. <laughs> little bitty Ryan Day sitting there on third base. Russell, that's very funny. Uh, really good stuff. We will give you a golden shoe for that there as well. Lousy stinking Gators had a 12-point lead on uh, on Saturday. Could not hold on to it. You had media people crying after the game. It was very, 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 very tough weekend there 
in uh, Gainesville. And it gets even worse. 1,115 days. Uh, actually, that's how long it's been since Florida's beaten Georgia. Let's make sure we give it the right way. 1,115 days. That's how long it's been since Florida's beaten Georgia. But who knows? It may go another 1,115 days before they do it again. So there you go. That's fun to consider. And busy week for us, previewing the SEC championship. We'll do it again for tomorrow. So thanks for being here. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia.